You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Kingdom of God, we trace the story of God's kingdom throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Joe. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at um, Mountain City Church. If you're you're new here, welcome. Um, It is so good to see some of our folks off the mission field. We got Ronnie. He comes back looking like, and this is a compliment. Don't take it wrong. He's coming back looking like one of the Beatles, man. It's like he goes out to he goes out to uh, uh, New Life Camp and and works all summer long. And then man, just welcome back. And Miranda's coming back from North Dakota. She was there all summer long serving. It's great to have you guys uh, back. These are uh, some of our uh, folks that are members, and also um, Ronnie is part of the college ministry here at the church. So welcome back. It's wonderful to see. I, I thought I heard some more sound coming from this section. That's kind of where the college students hang out a little bit when the semester starts. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm excited about this new series and uh, it's, it's called The Kingdom of God. We're probably going to look at it a little bit differently than maybe some of the, the ways that you have previously walked through the kingdom of God, you know, at different times in your life. I'm sure that at some point in time, I hope that you have probably heard a sermon series about the kingdom of God, right? Again, this is just going to be a little bit different experience. And, you know, we will not be looking at it at a micro level. You know, sometimes you can unpack the Sermon on the Mount that really gives you how you're to live within the kingdom. Or we can maybe trace through what Jesus said in the book of Matthew and kind of put together what the kingdom is and how we're to live. But what we're going to kind of do is we're going to kind of raise up to a 10,000 foot view and take a look at the whole Bible, how it all fits together, especially today, how it is about one thematic theme of the kingdom of God. And there's other components to that, and we'll learn them today. And, and don't worry, I'm going to blow through this, and you're going to be like, some, some of you take notes, and your pencil might be on fire. Don't worry about it. We're going to spend six weeks unpacking all of this. So I'm just trying to give you an introduction so that you get a, a you know, your wet your whistle about it a little bit, and we'll continue on in next week's about this. What, what I often do and try to do on Sunday mornings is not only do we try to mix the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we also try to do it at different levels, right? Sometimes we're, we're at 30,000 foot or 10,000 foot. You know, previously we walked through the, the book of John, so whenever we're walking through the book of John, I'm consistently going micro level and macro level, kind of moving the, the, the view of it so that we can see all the facets of God, because, you know, we'll spend a lifetime trying to see who God is and we won't fully ever see him until one day that we actually see him in our glorified bodies and that'll be a wonderful day. Like we did the, the, the series on original sin and if you haven't listened to that series, I encourage you. I usually don't um, say this, but I think this is a really good series, the, the three-part series on original sin where we went really micro. In fact, we went so micro that we were talking about what's happening inside of your heart even as you sit here Today, So that's all online and you, and you can check that out. But today um, we're going to go about 10,000 foot and we're going to take a look at the whole Bible. And, and my argument is today that it, it's about the kingdom of God. That is the thematic thing that holds the whole Bible together. Playing off of something new. I know it's been two weeks. I know uh, Mike was here last week and did a wonderful job talking about Thomas and just gave us a great gospel message last week. Uh, but two weeks ago, if you were here, we we're talking about the family of God. And, and we ended with this question. It's kind of a question that's been been working on me and working now working on the elders a little bit and just how can we uh, 
serve you the best and, and create environments that will serve you the best uh, so that you can grow to be more like Christ because that is the purpose of what we are doing here. And we left with this question that says this. Um, the question we need to be asking is not, how is church life to be fitted into my plans for myself or my family, but how do we fold our lives into the life of the church? Right? We were talking about how the church is a family. This is two weeks ago. I can rephrase, reframe that question and just talk about the kingdom of God. The question we need to, to be asking is not, how is the kingdom of God to be fitted into my plans for myself and my family, but how do we fold our lives into the kingdom of God? This is what the whole Bible's thematic theme is, is the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And, and I have a simple phrase, and, and I learned this phrase from Mark Sayers, but he really got it from Graham Goldsworthy. They're both Australians over on the other side of, of the world. But everything that I've studied leading up to this sermon series, it, they, everybody says the same thing. They just say it different ways. And I think this is a, a really good way to, to learn it, to understand it, to put it in on as a lens as you read the Bible. In fact, I want, I want to say it so much over the next six weeks that if someone shakes you awake at 3 a.m. and said, what's the kingdom of God? You're going to be simple say, well, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's the kingdom of God. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. And the whole Bible is about this. And some of you that are really, you know, really know your Bible well, you know, if you just stop and think about some of the stories and how the Bible's laid out, it's all about God's people in God's place under God's rule. Again, the kingdom of God is a thematic framework that holds the whole Bible together. It holds it all together. The framework of the kingdom of God unites, shapes, and stabilizes all other biblical themes and concepts. It is what the, the whole thing's about, the kingdom of God. Now, I know some of you might be saying, oh, wait a minute, Joe. You know, you might have some questions. I'll get to your questions, I'm sure, and I'm going to answer those questions. Because some of you are saying, oh, wait a minute, I thought it was about this or I was about that. One thing we do know, and just let me say this up front, and I might say it again, is we are not in the Bible, right? We, very seldom can we take ourselves and stick ourselves in the Bible and, and everything works out as we read the Bible, right? The Bible is about what God has done to save us, right? So the, the simplest and, and most simple example of that is David and Goliath, right? We, we are not David. We're Israel over here hiding in the woods, right? David is Jesus. He's our champion redeemer. That, that's what that story points us to. The whole Old Testament points us to Jesus, Right? Now, yes, there are some things to be learned by kind of placing us in David and saying, okay, you know, we need to trust God, right? That, that he's going to take away the giants. But really in that story, we're Israel. We're hiding because we can't do nothing against the giants in our life, which is sin, death, hell, and the grave. We need a, we need a redeemer. We need Jesus to do that. We need a David. And David was pointing us right, right to Jesus the whole time. That's what he's doing. He's, his finger's pointing to Jesus, the ultimate king, the ultimate giant slayer. Slayer. If you think about this, God's people in God's place under God's rule, it starts from Genesis and it ends in Revelation. It's all through there. So we're, let's walk through this a little bit. Um, you might be able to keep up with, with some of the page scriptures. If not, just, just sit and, let, and listen to, to God's amazing testimony about what he has done to save you. 
to save you sitting in this pew today if you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, then, then maybe today, today is the day of salvation. And maybe today he will save you through what you hear, the gospel, and through the work of the Holy Spirit to change your heart so that you can repent and believe. So again, doesn't Genesis open? It opens with God making a place. He made two realms, the heavens and the earth. On earth, there's a specific place God will make for his people. It's called Eden. Right? So he's making a place, God's place. Now he's going to put his people in his place. So he created all these things and he created man. Now, don't miss this. The climax of all creation is what? It's the creation of woman. Okay, men, stop and think about that for a minute. Our jobs as husbands is to point our wives to Christ. In fact, if you're a brother and you just have, and you're not married, your job is to point your sisters in Christ to Christ, right? If, if I'm a husband, then my job is to make sure that my wife loves God more than she loves me. That's my job, right? Because, see, the, the, the pinnacle of creation was woman, and there was something else that happened. It was the marriage covenant, right? So he created woman, and the marriage covenant happened. Why? So he can fill the earth with God's people. So we have God's place. In God's people, and we know that they were under his rule, were they not? They were told what? Don't eat of the tree. Right? There's some rules. You are to cultivate the land, name the animals. There's some things that you're going to do for all of eternity, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Don't eat of that tree. That's, that's his rule. He, he's there. And they used to walk with God. They were naked and unashamed and had no guilt. And they were not afraid of him. And this was the kingdom of God. God's people in God's place under God's rule. And then Genesis 3 happened. Right? Adam and Eve decided to usurp God's rule and put themselves on the throne. That's part of what we do as, as the original sin, as, as the fall. Is what we do is we take God and we say, Oh, did you really say that, God? And we put ourselves on the throne and we live our lives out in that way. The consequences of this decision have been handed down over thousands of years right to us. It's been handed down. That's Romans 5, right? It's been handed down, handed down. It's been handed down to our children's, children's, children's. You get the point. It's going to keep going until Jesus comes back, right? So we don't escape this idea that, oh, I'm a good person. That that original sin stuff, it didn't affect me. No, it affected everybody. We're all in the same boat, right? We're all in the same boat before Christ. But God wasn't done. He had a plan. God gave a promise that there would be a seed, a king that would crush the current king of this world. And if you didn't know that, the the current king of this world is Satan. The Bible is clear on that. You know, Satan is the king of this world. And and he said, well, I'm going to send another king and he's going to crush that king for my children. And establish a new kingdom. Because God is God, he does things on his timetable and for his purposes, right? A lot of times we want, to, we want to make him to do things on our timetable and for our purposes. But if he's God, then he's in control of everything. And, and it should be good. It should be well with our soul that he is in control of everything. 
So we have a period of time until the king arrives. We call this the Old Testament, right? A shadow pointing us to what will come. That's the Old, Old, Old Testament. It's, it's God pe- God's people and God's place under God's rule. And it's all pointing to one day when the king comes, right? He'll in, in, inaugurate the kingdom. It's not fully here yet. We're living in between of the already but not yet of the kingdom of God. It's, it's been established. It's, it's starting. But one day it'll be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. So we have this period of time. And all through this time, God is making a people. He is putting them in a place. And he's making them under his rule. I mean, that's the whole Old Testament. If anybody's read through the Old Testament, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's what he's doing all through it. Let me give you a simple example. Genesis 6-5. We know this story. I picked a story that I'm pretty sure, even if, if you're not from a church or been in church, that maybe you, you know this story. And that's the story of Noah. Remember, God looks out over the land. He's, this is like Genesis 6, so this is some time has passed since the fall. And he, saw, he says this in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the, thought, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he saw this. Okay, i got to fix this. This is, this is something. But what about the promise? What about the promise of the seed? The seed is going to eventually produce the new king and the new kingdom. I can't leave that promise, right? So he says that he is going to blot them out through a flood. This is his plan. This is God's plan. But because of the promise in Genesis 3, what does he do? He calls out a group of people. He chooses them, Noah's family, right? Noah gets God's rules for building the ark and filling the ark and how he is to worship after the flood. So if we fast forward a little bit, they're all now in the ark. And the earth is covered with water. Is the kingdom gone? No, it's not. It's in the ark. Why? Because you have God's people. In God's place, the ark, under God's rules, right? Because God taught him, hey, you got to have clean animals. Whenever the, whenever the ark lands, you're going to worship a certain way. So even within the ark, even within the, the little boat, or the, I guess the really big boat, you had God's people in God's place under God's rule. You had the kingdom of God still moving forward. Pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing stuff. So if we fast forward a little bit from, from the account of the flood, um, God calls out or chooses a people that will come from Abraham, which is in line with the seed of Adam and Eve. So he's keeping the seed theme going all the way through to, to Jesus, but he's also keeping this kingdom going, God's people in God's place under God's rule. Abraham was told you will be a, a great nation for your descendants will be like the stars. God is making a people for himself. You will be my people and I will be your God. These people were sent to a place to live under God's rule. That's pretty much of the whole Old Testament. They would never obey God. They, we all have the problem with the third one because really God takes care of the first two, God's people and God's place. But we, we have problems with God's rule. And we saw the whole Old Testament where, where God's people have problems with his ruling over them, right? And this is part of the fallen nature and part of how sin affects us. And so we have all the musings throughout the whole Old Testament showing us God trying to get his people to his land. And when they get to the land, will you listen to me? But they don't. And it's over and over again. We see that same process 
Well, then we have in between what we have in our, in our English Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? We have this time, this 400 years of silence where God, in a, God was just silence. But then came this man, this man called Jesus, who is of the seed, traced all the way back to Genesis and you know all those genealogies that you run into as you're, you're reading through the book and you're like, oh, what are these all here? That's why they're there. They're showing you that God made a promise, Genesis 3, and I'm going to fulfill it. And if you follow it all, you can follow all those genealogies right up to Jesus. What does Jesus say when he begins his ministry? In Mark 1.15, he says this, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So to even Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, what's this all about? Oh, the kingdom of God. It's about God's people and God's place under God's rule. The gospel will produce a people that God chooses through the new birth. The place is everywhere because the kingdom has arrived, and God now rules his people's hearts. It's a little different. It's not this, all this outward rules that we, we have to follow. Now he, he dwells in our hearts and he rules us from the inside out, not the outside in. Pretty amazing. So you right now are one of God's people in his place. And that place goes wherever you go. <laughs> of course, it's the whole earth under his rule. It's just whether or not we believe what the gospel says and allow the gospel and the word of God to rule our hearts. That's the kind of the battle that we, we deal with day in and day out. We even see that Luke records this about Jesus teaching the disciples after his resurrection. In Acts 1-3 we see, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So, Jesus comes on the scene. He says, okay, I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. He goes through the cross and the burial and the resurrection. And, and he's going to reappear to everybody here that, that was going to be his witness moving forward that he has been resurrected. And what does he talk about? The kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is the thematic framework of the Bible. Let me go to one other place. Paul taught about the kingdom. In Acts 19, 8, he says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about what? The kingdom of God. In Acts 28, 31, as, as Luke is winding down everything that, that Paul was teaching, he says, Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Pretty amazing. I mean, this is how many different authors over how many thousands of years? One coherent story? You're telling me this is by chance? Give me a break. This is not by chance. This is divine. This is pretty amazing. Oh, and if that's not enough, how does it all end? How does this wonderful testimony end? Well, let's just, if, so you're tracking with me. Let, let's go back. Right, Genesis 1 and 2, God created a place and a people which climaxed in the creation of the woman in the marriage covenant. Right? And then Genesis 3 happened, and then there was a promise made. What was that promise? That he would crush the head of Satan, that he would destroy Satan. That was the promise. So, move all the way forward to Revelation. How does the book end? This is pretty amazing. 
What happens in Revelation 20? Listen to what happens in Revelation 20. Remember, you had creation of a place, creation of a people, right? And then, then because they were not under the rule, Satan came and, and uh, deceived them, right? And they went out from under God's rule, and, and God made a promise. I will destroy Satan. So how does the book end? How does this wonderful testimony end? Revelation 20.10. And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beasts of the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, this is chiastic, or this is inclusio, however you want to look at literature. But, you, you know, if you think of it like in, in letters, you have A, B, C, right? Creation of the place, creation of the people, then the fall and the promise. And then C is, okay, I did it. I will one day throw Satan into the lake of fire. And then what about the rest of it? Well, if we read Revelation 21, 1 through 4, this is so cool. This, it's like the, the Bible starts this way and the Bible ends this way. Almost like one person was writing the whole thing, even though it's written over thousands of years by many different authors. Listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 4. See if you can hear, hear, hear the words. Is it about a place? Is it about a people? Is there a marriage covenant in there? Is it about people being under God's rule? Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are the bride, folks. There's the marriage covenant coming back to fix everything. We are his bride. We should prepare as a bride. I know that many times that... that most all the time in, in our country, at least, and maybe around the world, I'm not sure. I've only been in weddings here. It's usually the groom is waiting for the bride to come. But that's not how the Bible lays it out. The Bible lays it out is the groom is coming one day and the bride needs to prepare herself. How are you preparing yourself for the groom's coming? Are you folding your life into the kingdom? Are you folding your life into the family of the church? He goes on to say, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You had creation of the place, creation of the people, the fall of the promise. Satan will be destroyed. At the end of the book, you have Satan being destroyed. You have a new place. You have a new people. And you have the marriage covenant, just like you had at the beginning. God's people in God's place under God's rule. John Bright captures the significance of the thematic framework of the kingdom of God when he writes, For the concept of the kingdom of God involves... In a real sense, the total message of the Bible. Not only does it loom large in the teaching of Jesus, it is to be found in one form or another through the length and breadth of the Bible. To grasp what is meant by the kingdom of God is to come very close to the heart of the Bible's gospel of salvation. The thematic framework of our Bible is the kingdom of God. 
Why is the kingdom so central? Because the theological center of our Bible is the king. Who's the king? It's Jesus. He is the theological center of the whole Bible. We have a thematic theme with the kingdom of God, and he is the theological center. Everything is about him throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Colossians tells us all, made, all things were made for him and through him. It's all about Jesus. He's the theological center. He is fully God, fully man when he was on this earth. He is the theological center. This is true just as much of the Old Testament as the New Testament. There are many texts that, that prove this to be true. One of them, uh, Chris read for us this morning. And I just want to read a portion of it. Luke 24, 25 through 27 says this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Prophets is Old Testament. What is not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, okay, this Exodus, <laughs> and all the prophets, ends with Malachi, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. He is the theological center. The kingdom of God is the thematic framework. Think of Hebrews 12, 1 with 2, and I, I want to read that at the very end of our time together today. This is the passage where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. See, they're not called examples. They are witnesses who testify to the person and work of Jesus and who call us not to imitate them, but to rather to do what? To fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you know, all those witnesses that, that you read about in the Old Testament, they're all trying to do one thing for you. Gaze your eyes on the king, on Jesus. That's the whole point. That's, that's what it's all pointing to. That's what they're trying to get you to see, who Jesus is, how wonderful he is, this wonderful, great testimony God has made. So we have... A thematic framework, which is the kingdom of God. We have a theological center, which is Jesus. And there's many other passages we can go to that, that show us that. But, but my question is always, and you'll learn that if you stick around here any amount of time. And sometimes I don't, I don't get the answer to this, and that's fine. You know, because a lot of times the Bible says, well, this is just a mystery, and I'm good with that because God said so. But my question is, is okay, how does this work? <laughs> how is this kingdom thing and Jesus and how, how all this works? And I'm pretty sure that it all works through covenant. It all works through the covenant God makes with his people. That's how the kingdom is worked out. It's through the different covenants that we see all throughout our Bibles. Right? So it's, it's, it's really neat to see that it's all about these covenants, and that's how everything works, because God makes all these different covenants with his people throughout time. And in fact, there was a covenant made before time. And that's the covenant of redemption. It was made, um, Richard Belcher defines it this way, the pre-temporal agreement between the members of the Trinity concerning the roles each member performs to bring about the salvation of God's people. Before time. Pre-temporal agreement between the members of the Trinity concerning the roles each member performs to bring about the salvation of God's people. The Father promises to redeem and elect people. 
The Son promises to earn the salvation of those people by becoming a human being in order to be a mediator for them. In this role, Christ fulfills the conditions of the covenant through his perfect obedience to the law of God and his substitutionary death on the cross. So God the Father has a part. God the Son has a part. God the Holy Spirit has a part. The Holy Spirit applies the work of the Son to God's people through the means of grace. This is the covenant of redemption. So now... You know, that might be something new for everybody. And, and, and we can't take just the word of Richard Belcher or Joe Sawakis. So is it in the Bible? Because if it's not in the Bible, then throw it out. But I think it is in the Bible. <laughs> it's in, in the Bible many different places. We, we can look at Psalms 2, Isaiah 52. We can look at uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And let me just read 3 through 6 for you real quick. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. Covenant of redemption. Right? We, we don't know any of this. We, we give the gospel to all people. Right? This is between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's called us and chose us and has used us to further his kingdom. I don't, you know, I'm looking at it and saying, no, that might not have been the best plan, but that's God's plan. He's using us to do so. That he should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption of himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to praise of his glorious grace, which we have been blessed us in the beloved. And you know what? If you, if you really take time and, and look at it as you walk through the gospel of John... It's all through the Gospel of John. This three parts, John, uh, John writes down that, that Jesus talking about these three parts all the time. Jesus repeatedly speaks of the work the Father gave him to do. All through the book of John. It's like, God gave me work to do, right? I, 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 I've got to go pray and hear what the Father wants me to do. And then the reward that was promised. And then the sending of the Spirit. We see all three components of this within the book of John as we see that. So the covenant redemption happening within the Godhead before anything happened. So guess what? This was plan A. If this is true, then this is plan A. God did not switch to plan B after the events of Genesis 3. This is plan A. Now, you might have all kinds of problems with that. You know, and sometimes I, when I start thinking about that, i got all kinds of problems with that. But again, we're not God. This is not his, we're, this is not our universe. This is not our infinite whatever. It's his. It's his. So you have this covenant of redemption. And then and there's two fundamental covenants that are, are sprawled out all throughout the, the Bible. And that the, the first one is the covenant of works. And the covenant of, of works was made with Adam in the garden, right? You are God's people in God's place under God's rule, and, and there's some works you are to do, right? And, and most theologians, when they think out, again, we're speculating. This is nothing but speculation. Like, if the fall didn't happen, then eventually, you know, as, as Adam obeyed, then maybe as, as everyone grew, maybe there's the tree of life would come into effect. You know, the tree of life is in Revelation also, whenever we get back to it, but... Let me not go down that rabbit trail. Um, the covenantal, uh, covenant of works is, is through Adam. It's a bilateral agreement between God and the second party. And that party has to work and obey to receive the blessing. That's just the, that's the covenant he made. 
He's like, I'm going to put you here and you're going to do some things for me. And if you obey, you get blessing. Now, Adam and Eve didn't know nothing but obeying until the deceiver came. Right? And then there's blessings and curses. Right? If you obey, you get blessings. If you disobey, there's curses. That's, that's the covenant of works. And then you have the covenant of grace that most people say would, would start. Now, there's a, huge arguments about this. I'm going with, with all the study I did, and this is what I trust in. If you have a disagreement, we can talk about that, um, and, and that's fine. But I really believe that the covenant of grace started when he didn't take out Adam and Eve after they sinned. Right Now, some would say, oh, that's, that's common grace leading up to the new covenant, which is, you know, Jesus bringing in the covenant of grace because that covenant is with Jesus, the second Adam. See how this is working? So God made a covenant with Adam, right? It was a bilateral covenant just like he did with Jesus. And there's blessings and cursings. If you obey, you get blessings. If you disobey, you get curses. But there's grace to be found. The covenant of grace, and I'm just going to mention these, has several different administrations within the covenant of grace. The Noetic, the Abrahamic, the Davidic, and of course the new covenant, which is Jesus. So, why does that matter to me? Right? Because I just went through that really fast, and some of you are right along with me, or some of you checked out way long ago, and that's fine, about all these different covenants. But stop and think about this. Here's, bring it down to, to why does it matter to me? Every person in humanity is in a covenant relationship with God. Every single person in humanity is in a covenant relationship with God. There is not one person who is not a covenantal being. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. If you are in Adam, you receive the benefits he secured for you. And what were those benefits? Curse. I curse the ground that you will work. I curse the woman's childbirth. So if you are in Adam, right, then all you get is curses. Guess what? That's everybody who is not in Christ. So can we have a little sympathy for those who are not in Christ and love them? And love them. So if you are in Adam, now you've heard this language before all through Paul. He talks about it all the time, especially in Romans. If you're in Adam, you receive the benefits he secured for you, which is curses. If you're in Christ, you receive the benefits he secured for you, which is blessings. It's blessings. It's all those blessings that John talks about that. A, a home for us with, with many rooms. And, and what we read there at the end of Revelation where there's going to be no more hurt and no more pain. And, and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. That's what Jesus has gotten us. His blessings. So Jesus both obeyed the law. Remember, Adam's problem was he didn't obey God. But Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. And took the curses for you. Because none of us have perfectly obeyed the law, right? Because I can just ask one question. Has anybody in this room ever lied? Okay, we broke a commandment, we broke his law, right? You got Everybody's in the same boat. So there's no, nothing there. Everyone's in the same boat. So Jesus both obeyed the law and took the curses for you and me so that you can get his blessings. 
Theologians use a fancy word for this. It's called double imputation. In other words, God perfectly obeyed, Jesus perfectly obeyed, and he took the curses. He didn't deserve to die because he perfectly obeyed. But he took the curses for you and me so that we can get his blessings. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus perfectly obeyed and did not have to die, but he went to the cross in your place, in my place, so that you and I get his blessings of eternal life. Of eternal life. See, this is the one amazing testimony of the Bible. It is the one amazing testimony of the Bible. If you are in Jesus today, you are in the kingdom of God. You are now one of God's people in God's place under God's rule. The question is, is what kingdom do you live for today? What kingdom do you live for today? This one amazing testimony is all that God did in order to bring you into the kingdom. All of this is, is to bring you into the kingdom. Not because you're special. <laughs> we all have to look in the mirror every morning and know that that's not the case. It's one amazing testimony. The kingdom of God is a thematic framework. Jesus is a theological center. And the covenants is how he works out his kingdom. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I said I would read that at the end. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You, brother and sister, are his joy that took him to the cross so that you may be saved. So often think about what we just unpacked that happened over thousands of years, that's still happening, that one day will all come to fruition whenever the revelation comes alive. That is a great, great big God. That is a God that you cannot stuff in your back pocket and pull him out anytime you want to. That is a great big God. He's done all of this to save you. What kingdom are we living for? But let me end on this. If this God is, is, is that big, then guess what? Whatever you're going to face a minute from now, an hour from now, a day from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, if you're his child, if you are in Christ, that great big God is working out a plan for you. He's working out a plan for you. That's the benefit of knowing the Bible and what this great big God has done just to save us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's just absolutely amazing. 
from Genesis to Revelation, it's just absolutely amazing how it all fits together and how it's about what you have done, your testimony to us of all that you have done so that we may be your children. That's mercy. And that's grace. And Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, that that I can stand here and, and, and know that I know that I know that I'm your child. And Lord, I pray that each person sitting here, or even if they're checking us on, online, Lord, that, that they know that they know that they know that you, they are your child. And Father, if not, Lord, they, they've heard what, what Christ has done. And Lord, I pray that you sent the Spirit to, to change their hearts so they may then turn from living under their own rule and turn to King Jesus and repent and trust in him. Lord, I beg that you would, you would change lives today. And Father, for those who have been serving for a while and sometimes life just kind of bumps us out of serving the kingdom. Lord, I just pray that you would help, help us to swerve back in to doing so. Lord, I pray that you would just help us through your spirit and your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.